We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get to some more questions here from TB12 for Heisman. Best guess at who is going to be the first commit of the 20. 20- oh, we already hit this one. Yeah, sorry, my bad. Okay, good. Here we go from Tom Burke. Tom Burke, if you had a build, if you had to build your offense and defense around two players in Notre Dame's long history, who would they be? Oh, the whole history. So wow. two offense and two deep. Well, first of all, as I've always said, I'm only gonna the history. My history is only guys I've seen play. Like I, it'd be easy for me to say Ross Browner, but you know how many times I saw Ross Browner Browner play in the whole game? Zero, right? I mean, I know I know he would be a guy that Lou Samoji would go with, but I, I can only go with guys that I see. So two guys on offense and two guys on defense that I would that I would go with offensively. I'm going Quentin Nelson and Rocket Ismail on okay. on offense. I would be mine would be offensively would also be Quentin Nelson, and I would probably pick Brady Quinn would yeah. be my second. I get that one. Yeah, I just feel like give me a guy like Rocket, and I can do a lot. I can do a lot. I don't necessarily need I, a Brady at quarterback. I, I didn't really see Rocket. I only saw him. That's true because so. he was out before you were born. That's yeah. so again. That fits into you know you give me. That's why I don't pick Tim Brown because I didn't see. I didn't really. I don't remember Tim Brown. At Notre Dame. I remember Notre, Tim Brown in the Raiders. Yes, but I don't really remember Tim Brown at Notre Dame. I, I actually remember Quadri Ishmael more than yeah, Rocket Ishmael. So the missile. Yeah. 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 Defensively, uh, that's a that's a that's a much tougher one. I'd probably go uh, Manti and that's a boy. That's a good Manti and Justin Tuck would probably be where I would go. I I would go Jalen Smith would be my linebacker. Yeah, I that's think. a good one too. Yeah, and man, like I'm, I'm like I'm my mind is picking through Justin Tuck, Stephon Tuitt, Harrison Smith. I mean. Build through the defensive line, right? So give me Stefan too because of the inside outside ability he yeah. has. If you if you'd have seen Justin Tuck, you did you, you did you see Justin Tuck much in college, Ryan? Was I, I remember really I remember his last year at Notre Dame. I remember he was his last year. Yeah. But I, again, I'm going with box guys. I mean, look, there's Tom Carter, Todd Light was the best cornerback I've ever seen at Notre Dame. I mean, there's some guys like that I could go with, but I'm I, I gotta stick with what I believe in builds championship football teams. And you still gotta win in the trenches. So give me Manti or Jalen. Give me Justin Tuck or or 
Stefan Tuitt or a guy like that. Yeah. I mean, there's some dudes I can build around right there, man. You know, yes. there's no doubt about it. Chris, a Chris Zorch type of guy, you know, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, Chris Zorch was like a little bigger than Howard Cross, but he was just a oh, man. He was, <laughs> he was a dude. Did Chris Zorch wrestle? I'm sure he wrestled, right? I would have, I don't have love. any idea, but I'd be shocked <laughs> if he didn't the way yeah. he played. There's no yeah. doubt. There's no <laughs> doubt. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. From John A1, is it possible for Alexander Ehrensberger to play on the interior of the defensive line? On a full-time basis, yeah, John, I think so, just because he's so tall, right? Like It's a center of gravity leverage thing. But I would love to see Alexander Ehrensberger on, like, obvious pass situations to play inside against guards occasionally. Like, I would love to see that. I think that his length and his uh, quickness for his size would be a big mismatch against guards. So would I, would I like to see it occasionally? Yes, in the right situations. I just think the leverage battle would hurt him inside consistently. Yeah, I, passing situations, absolutely, John. Absolutely. I just, yeah. And I don't know if he has quite enough mass to be an every down inside guy either. I mean, yeah, I think looks, you can get away with pretty the maxed height. Out. Yeah. You can get away with the height if you, you have long hands and if he comes, and he comes off the ball relatively well, like leverage wise for his size. I think it's the size at, at that length and that size. Like if you, I mean, like John Hayward, John, uh, Albert Hainsworth was like 6'6, six, six, right? I mean, he was a yes. massive interior guy. John Henderson was huge. I mean, he was 6'6. Six, six, and six, Stroud. Seven. Stroud right. and Henderson. Marcus Stroud. That's right. But yeah. they were massive. They could, they could, 
they can hold up against that. And he he's just not that way. I know there's been bigger players, Brian, but John Henderson's one of the biggest dudes I've ever seen in my life, man. Yeah. That dude was just insane. He's not small. <laughs> he is not. He is not a small human being. There's no doubt. No Here's Ryan. I'll ask this one because it's more for you. But Jake Roosman asks, where does Notre Dame stand with Peyton Pierce currently? Thanks for all you guys do. You are welcome for that, Jake. We appreciate it. So, so, Jake, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but they were in a great spot with Peyton Pierce, you know, after his after he visited earlier this year. And I felt like Notre Dame was kind of the team to beat, you know, where, where everything that happened with obviously with James Laurinaitis leaving, because that was Peyton Pierce's main contact at Notre Dame was James Laurinaitis. That was the guy who he spent a lot of time with on that visit specifically is the guy that he spent a lot of time talking to in general from the recruiting side of things. And the minute that he left, I just kind of threw a wrench in everything. You know, he didn't have a deep relationship. Really, I mean, he had relationships with the other player, people on the staff, but just not a deep enough to, I guess, you know, maintain that momentum. So I think that Notre Dame is still in it, right? But they have, they have some work to be done there. Like there's right. definitely work to do. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's over by any stretch. I think that they're still in the conversation. It's just about. You know, Al Golden and the rest of the staff really need to make that a priority, and they need to just get the momentum back because they lost a lot when James Lornice left. There's no doubt about that. Dude, I completely whiffed on the previous question. I can't believe – I love Justin Tuck, Stephon Tuitt. I cannot believe that I didn't go with Bryant Young. Oh, I completely God. forgot about Bryant Young. See, I don't remember Bryant Young at Notre Dame. I just remember oh, him before yeah, you like two. So. Yeah, he was a dude at Notre Dame. I mean, he was like number seven overall pick. I mean, he was a stud at Notre Dame. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, could you imagine if Jim Flanagan and Bryant Young's kids both come to Notre Dame? Because they were like side by side back then. I mean, Bryant yeah. Young was inside, Jim Flanagan was an end, but they were dudes back then, man. Like, that would be that would be some some the great inter- memories right there, man. Man, the interior but yes, it would be Manti line. and it would be Manti or Jalen at linebacker and Bryant Young at D line. Somebody so, and the reason I uh Michael Campbell said Bryant Young. So I was like, oh my God. He actually said Bryce Young, but I knew he meant what he meant. I meant, meant Bryant. Bryce is the son. So I cannot believe I forgot that one. But yes, it'd be Bryant Young. With all due respect to Justin Tuck and Stefan to and Lewis Nix and all those great players. Uh Ronaldo Wynn. I mean all those great players from Notre Dame over the years. Chris Zorch, Jared Job. Um, George Williams, all those guys, Jeff Alm, it's Bryant Young by yeah. a mile. I cannot believe I forgot that one. I, I mean, he's he's in the he's both in the college football and NFL yes. Hall of Fame. So yes. <laughs> yes, he was a star. Yeah. He was a star. There's no doubt about it. Here we here we go, Ryan. From Domer since birth, gentlemen, what do you value more for a coach program? An NCAA basketball final four appearance or college football playoff appearance? Four team playoff. Have a great weekend. Huh. What do you value more for a coach program? An NCAA basketball final? Or, uh, to me, it's it's a final four. I think those are a lot more rare. It's a you lot have, harder. Because you have a lot more steps to get there, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you, you look at – it's hard, man, to get there. It's really hard to get there. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, a, a, a basketball coach with a lot of final four appearances is much harder for me because the the it's, it's more so about regular season for the – you know, and there's all the things that kind of go into it for a college football, but it's just two different animals, man. And so to me, uh, I just, I feel like a coach that has a, a lot more fun, because again, to get to, you can get to a final four in college football and get murdered in the first round and you're okay, whatever. I mean, what yeah. did they accomplish? Like what did, what, what did what Michigan state accomplish in their one playoff appearance? They got destroyed. They got embarrassed, yeah. right? I mean, Notre Dame didn't fare a whole lot better, but at least Notre Dame kind of competed a little bit with Clemson. 
for a while, but you know, Washington's that way. I mean, they, they battled a little bit. It wasn't one, but it just, I would much rather see it. I mean, cause in the end to get the answer, you got to win four games to get yeah. to the final four, four games. There's so, so much impressive thing for me. There's so much, there, there's very little carryover usually from a team to team, from a basketball perspective too, from like one year to the other as well, because I mean, with players being able to leave after one year, like you're building a whole new team sometimes, <laughs> you know, from a year to year basis. Right. And so I think that the lack of continuity makes it difficult on the basketball side of things. I mean, college football. Yeah. There was the transfer portal and everything, but you know, if you sign a, a player, uh, you know, in a, in a recruit for college football, they have to play three years in college. Like they can't just leave after a year. Right. So I think that also that the lack of continuity sometimes in college basketball, that's tough to be consistent, man, unless you're, you know, John Calipari, who could just recruit to that well, even level. He has, I mean, when was the last time John Calipari was been in the final four? I Not mean, even sure. Not you even know, sure. like, I mean, it, it, it's been a couple of years. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to do that back to back to back. I mean, you know, Krzyzewski had a little bit of a stretch like that early in his career and then one later in his career. But yeah, yeah the last time that, um, the last time that Kentucky made the final four yeah. was 2015. Wow, really? That long? They, yeah, wow. they've only been in the Elite Eight twice since then. That's so, wild. I mean, you just you just don't see it as much, right? I mean, in Shashevsky, he was getting big time. He, he kind of out Calipari'd Calipari. You know, yeah. the, he went to the Final Four last year, his last season. And before that, the last time he had been in the Final Four was back in 15 also, the year that they won the title. And then before that, the last time they had been in the Final Four was 2010. So as great as Mike Krzyzewski was from 2010 to 2022 seasons, he was in the Final Four just three times. That's right. Crazy. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot harder to do, in my opinion. It's definitely a lot harder to do. Can, can I say this, Brian? You know that I'm the voice of the people. So all I have to say to everyone out there is go Princeton. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, <laughs> you can't talk trash about a Jersey school winning when you didn't watch a second of the game. So I didn't watch I a second of basketball. I don't want to hear it. I I'm going to watch the basketball tonight. I'll watch the basketball tonight. All right? yeah, I'll watch the basketball I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> All right, we do have a super. I, I did see right. that wild uh, last play in the uh, in the what you call game though. The Furman Virginia that. game. What a yeah. stupid play that was! By there was the somebody right kid. on the baseline that was wide open too. I'm just like, oh my god, the baseline he man. Panicked, man. He just panicked. Ugh. The guy from Furman after the game was like, I can't believe he threw that ball. I can't just believe he threw that ball. It was oh not god. good. It was not good, oh, man. That kid, it that kid spotting good. up there, man, had ice in his veins too for oh, that last three. Yes. Ice he, in his veins. It was the cleanest game winner I've seen since the Villanova kid hit that shot against Carolina a few years oh, ago. Yeah. Remember that play that they yeah. ran to win that game? And he just kind of yeah. kind of trailed and he just flipped it back. He's like, buckets, yeah, championship. Yeah, like, I couldn't imagine the 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 guts it takes to to knock down that kind of shot, man. I just seriously. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We have a super chat here, Ryan. From Tyler Evans, how is your guys' brackets doing for the NCAA tournament? I want to throw mine in the trash yesterday. I didn't do a bracket, so Brian, you can you can vent here. If well, you like. the only problem with throwing my bracket in the trash is it's only on a computer. I didn't do one on a uh, on, on paper this year, so uh, I would uh, I would kind of be out of computer if I did that. So uh, I I didn't have a great day yesterday, Ryan. I, I did not have a great day. I finished pretty strong. I picked Penn State to win. I, I got that one right. Um, I did. I did okay in in some of the brackets. I picked Boise State to win uh, over Northwestern, so I got that one wrong. 
I obviously picked Arizona uh, to win. I didn't get burned too bad with Arizona because I had them. I only had them going to the Sweet 16. So right so far, I've only lost one Sweet 16 team, and that was Arizona. But like I had Virginia winning, but I had San Diego State upsetting Virginia in round two. Yeah. So I had San Diego State going to Sweet 16. So I actually have a shot to get that one right if they can beat Furman. Uh, you know, that's Brian Dutcher. If you remember him, he was one of the guys that helped recruit the Fab Five. He's he uh, was a, a assistant under Steve Fisher for a long time. He's now the head basketball coach, San Diego State. So. I watched them play. Angie and I went to dinner the other night uh, to Texas Roadhouse, and they had the Utah State, San Diego State uh, Conference Championship game on. Mm-hmm. And I watched them play. They defend pretty well. They shoot okay, but they defend really well. And, and I like teams that can defend in the tournament. You got to have good guard play, and you got to be able to defend in the tournament to really make a run. And I think guard play is important, and they have that. So I went with them. And of course, Arizona, you know, Virginia getting beat, I think it only makes it easier for them to do that. Although, um, you know, obviously teams like Furman, they get that one win and they get that confidence. It's like, uh oh, you know, now, <laughs> they make, now they're they make it they somehow yeah. make the Elite Eight. Like, yeah, yeah sure. Oh sure. yeah. <laughs> it's like Loyola that year that they made the run all the way to the final four. I mean, that was an impressive run. So that that's the best part of the the NCAA tournament, Brian, is like you we always remember the George Masons of the world, right? Like that's yeah. that's the best part of my opinion. Yeah. It's always fun. Yeah. Now I am in a bit of trouble, Ryan, because I have I picked Xavier to go. Now keep in mind I watch very little college basketball, so I just was like, whatever, you know, look at stats and matchups and stuff. Xavier with eight minutes left is they're a three seed. They're losing to Kennesaw State, sixty-one to twenty-four. I have Xavier in the final Wait, four. Sixty-one to what? Sixty-one to fifty-three. Excuse me. Uh, I think it's twenty-four. I was I like, did say whoa. <laughs> Uh, 61 to 53. Gotcha. And so if they lose, I will officially be throwing my, you know, mentally and emotionally throwing my bracket out. So, yeah. The great thing is, is that if you have it on your dock, you can delete it and that technically goes to the trash, right? So you can throw it in the trash. There you go. go. I'm going to close this webpage and all my picks and just call (laughs) it a day. We had Bama, Purdue, UCLA, and Xavier in the final four. And again, I watched very little college basketball. I only did a bracket because Bill King, the guy on uh, Bill King show asked all the people that come on their show a lot to do a bracket with fans. And I was like, okay, cool, whatever. I only did one this year. I used to do like 10 brackets. You know, I'd get like print off the sheets and I do like, you know, just all these different fun brackets. And it was just fun to kind of go with different angles, but I just don't follow it. I don't follow college. I would like to though. I I, I do like college basketball. I just don't have the time to watch it. You know what I mean? But I, I, enjoy I, I, I did flip on the uh, Duke Oral Roberts game yesterday for a couple minutes when yeah. Oral Roberts actually was making a little bit of a comeback, man. And then they fell, they fell flat on this yeah. in the last couple of minutes, yeah. but great last name. Great last name. Yeah. Oral Roberts. <laughs> Bunch of Got their butts kicked. <laughs> so must run in the family. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let's get back on track here. Ryan. I don't know. I don't know who's family though. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> From there Joe Medina, Ryan O'Brien. What was your earliest Notre Dame in-game memory that made both of you fans? That's a great question. Well, I've said this before. I mean, for me, I I remember the 88 season. And I think the game that really solidified it for me, I mean, I remember the Michigan game. But the game that really solidified it for me was the Miami game. I mean, that was just watching that game. And and I don't know if there was a moment, but I I just remember falling in love with Tony Rice in that game. And I don't remember yeah. what the moment was, but I just fell in love with Tony Rice in that game. And and like I've said before, my dad was a Notre Dame fan, so but he was more of an NFL guy. He was more of a Redskins fan. So I went against him in the NFL. I was a Broncos fan, so I had to go with him in college, right? So I was like, yeah, cool, I'm a Notre Dame fan. But I, it was just because my dad was. It wasn't until really watching them in 88. I was 10. But uh, when I watched them that, that, uh, 
that Miami game. And then I was really completely sold was like, okay, I'm in it for life was the USC game later that year when Tony Rice took that option play for a touchdown. I'll never forget it. I said, I was watching on a satellite, a big old satellite TV watching that play. And then when Stamps Magala, Stamps Magala had the pick six, I was, I was going nuts. That was, that's what solidified my Notre Dame fandom. Now that was in game, meaning like watching it. I didn't, my first Notre Dame game in person wasn't until 2007. So yeah, it was all off TV stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was on TV for a long time as well. You know, I don't think it was an in game moment though, like an actual game. You know, the one player I remember that it, it, it was funny. It actually was a recruiting thing, Brian. I remember Notre Dame landed Carlisle Holiday. And my oh, dad yeah. was so pumped about Carlisle Holiday, man. It was like, I remember my first Notre Dame jersey was a number seven jersey because of Carlisle Holiday. It was by, because of Carlisle Holiday. It was why. And uh, if, if they would have run the offense that they should have run with him, I think they would have been really good. Yeah. Really good. Man, he was such a good athlete, man. He was, yeah. he was electric. I remember. That was like when you had to like be very obscure. It was a very obscure to try to find high school highlights. I just remember finding Carlisle Holiday's high school highlights, and it was like, "Whoa, man! Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good." Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's he's a he's a he was a good one. He was a good yeah. one. All right, Ryan. Here's a here's another one here from John A. One. John A. One on both offensive line defense defensive line. What's a good balance to shoot for when recruiting high upside guys versus high floor guys? I think that depends, John, a lot of what the roster looks like currently, right? I mean, that that I think that matters a ton, kind of projecting a little bit, but it's a good question, though. It's a good question. I think it's the volume of the two. You know, yeah. give me you've it, it's finding the right balance of volume. And and so, you know, for every 10 players. You know, if I can be 50 50, I'm okay with that. I'd rather kind of be like seven high floor guys to three high upside guys. You all, all the guys you have should have some level of upside, right? I mean, sure. you don't recruit a guy who's just okay, he's going to be what he is the day he arrives. I mean, you don't, I don't know if you necessarily want that because then you end up with like a Darno Yule where he just, he never gets any better and he just can't play, you know? Yeah. But, give me seven high floor guys and three high upside guys for every 10 that you recruit, you know? So like if you sign 20 guys, you've got six guys that are just really high floor, low, you know, low floor, high ceiling guys. I think that's about as many as I would like uh, to have in a, tw- for, you know, in a per 10 to 20 guys is, is five to six is the rest have got to be higher floor guys. I think, I mean, that's where Georgia is to me, right? Like Georgia, Georgia recruits a, a ton of high floor guys that you know, have pretty high ceilings as well. And they'll take the occasional very raw kid, like a Darnell Washington who was really raw coming out of high school. Yeah. And then he pans out. Right. But he, well, partly what helps him pan out is he never had to be the guy. He was always some, but a number two to somebody. Right. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's like Bama did made a killing of that. Like Bama had so many guys that are overrated going in the NFL draft and coming out of high school. But what they did a great job is they had so many high floor guys that it just it made them all look better because they were all really good. None of them were necessarily elite, but they were all really good, and it made them look better. Yeah. And then they'd get to the NFL, and you're like, ah, this guy wasn't as good as I thought he was, right? Well, yeah, because he was never that good. He just – you just had 11 guys like him, where most teams have like five. Alex Leatherwood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm even more referring to like when Bama was really, really good, you know, back in the teens, you know, the mid to late teens. 
when they were just really special on defense. Like a lot of those corners didn't pan out in the NFL. You know, like D. Milner didn't do anything in the NFL. Nah. Drake Kirkpatrick has been okay in the NFL, but he, you know, not he like kind of where he was drafted. Sure. You know what I mean? Uh, nowhere close to that. But it's just they were all so good. And Georgia's kind of followed that that mantra too. Although I think Georgia's kind of recruited some some even higher level guys than Bama did in and 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 key areas like the defensive line. That's the biggest difference. Bama had a bunch of like for a, early on when they were winning, they had like a lot of Brandon Diedrichs and Lorenzo uh, Washingtons and guys like that. You know, Terrence Cody. They were good players. They're not elite guys. Their elite guys are more the backers and the corners and the safeties. Yeah. And that changed a little bit in recent years, like the Quinnen Williamses and the Deron Paynes and guys like that. But early on, they weren't recruiting the elite interior guys. Georgia has recruited elite interior guys, and that's been a big thing. So Jalen Carter was a high-floor guy with a high ceiling coming out. Yeah, Jordan Davis was a low-floor, high-ceiling guy and, and finding that, that blend because he wasn't a big-time recruit coming out of high school. He was like a three-star kid but and, and – pretty raw like he's like this kid's either going to be really good or he's never going to play a meaningful down because you don't know if he's going to be in shape and do all you know that kind of thing and uh yeah uh, seven to three is about where i'd be comfortable right you, you, you just named a couple names that just like i still can't believe drake Kirkpatrick has a son that's like a high school senior and he's only like 33 years old man yes. like, it's wild and i heard yeah, he's a decent i heard he's a decent little player too i haven't really watched yeah. him much but and Darnell Yule, man, I haven't heard that name in years. I remember watching yeah. his high school highlight tape, and that dude was like a man amongst boys. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was put oh, together man. for a senior, I, man. That's one of those ones I whiffed on big time. I was like, there's no way he's not at least going to be a good rotation player, at the Dude, very he, least. He, he looked like Adonis on the field yeah. in high, as a high schooler, yeah. man. He was well-built, strong. Yeah. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Ugh, here we go. We got another one, Ryan. Here we go. Let's roll. Kate, Let's Katie Kiever said, it's early, but do you guys have a 2025 quarterback you really like? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a couple. There's I a really lot. Like. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I have one, Ryan. You want to kick off? Uh, I, I mean, Br- I mean, Bryce Underwood is the best guy in the all. class, in my opinion, right? And I think in a lot of people's opinions out of Michigan, he's a really talented kid. You know, I mean, everyone's on Bryce Underwood, though. So, like, that one's going to be a tough pull out of the it's, state yeah, of Michigan. Yeah, it's going to be tough to get, especially yeah. the year after getting CJ Carr. It's going to be really tough yes. to get him out of Michigan. Yep. Yeah. But the the Hill kid that they just rec- they, they just offered, who's the Hill? dual threat, isn't his last name Hill? Deuce Knight. Know. Deuce Knight. I keep saying Deuce yeah. Hill. I, oh, I'm thinking man. of the Antoine Hill kid from Georgia. <sighs> I know. I know. I like Deuce, Deuce Knight a lot. Yeah. The lefty he is, kid. He's yeah. Smooth. Katie, he's 6'4. About 185, 190 right now. He's skinny, but he is a lefty with a live yeah. arm. The first play, it was like, yeah. oh, that, that arm is live. And then the very next play, he runs like quarterback counter and goes for six. I'm like, oh, smooth, man. So, like, so the, he's, the, the yeah. first throw, too, Ryan, that you're talking about, too, is I didn't think, like, I'm like, he's waiting a long time to let this ball go. Yeah. This skinny kid. And it just it doesn't like jump out of his hand like you think. It just it just kept going and going and going. It hits the dude over the top and just trying like sixty yards down the field, man. I'm like, this he's okay, like, this kid's got hope. That ki- that kid's like a he's like a javelin thrower, man. Yes. Like the ball releases and the heavens open yeah. up, and here it comes, <laughs> man. Like that's what it looks like. It really yes. does. K- 
kid is, yes. but, but Katie, the, the, the tough part about Deuce Knight is that Deuce does not play on a very good football team. I mean, they went yeah. like three and eight last year or yeah. two and eight or something. Like, like so, a kid we liked out of Texas last year. Right? Yes. Jacoby Robinson. Yeah, yeah. This, this kid makes a lot out of maybe limited around him. Right. But he's yeah. very talented. He's going to be a little raw just because there's, there's some plays where it's just like he's holding the ball forever because he has to, right. Cause he's right. just behind and has to make a play happen. But that kid can run. He could throw. He's a he's a tall really kid. He's going to fill out. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got the goods, man. I, I really like him a lot. I really do like him a lot. I'll tell you that the, the, the couple of the kids, the only kid that they that they're going to offer today that that I don't love. So obviously George McIntyre is really good yes. pocket pat. And the thing St- I noticed too, Ryan, they're offering different types of quarterbacks, but all tall, just different all types. Tall. Well, yeah. KJ Lacey's not really tall. He's oh, he's like the six one kid. He's like yeah. the six one kid. Yeah, but yeah. George McIntyre. Traditional top 50 caliber player, drop back quarterback, big arm, clean mechanics, accurate, good footwork. He's a talented kid from Tennessee. Bryce Underwood's a star. Yes. Uh, Deuce Knight's just really clean kid, really fluid. Love his ability. Don't like Cutter Bowley. I didn't see his sophomore film. I don't know if he was hurt or something, but I watched him. At, I saw him at Notre Dame's camp last year at the Irish Invasion in his freshman yeah. film. He's got a really funky throwing motion. And it like it's like down here. Like he throws yeah. the ball from like really down here. And, and again, I don't like changing kids throwing mo- throwing motions. And you can't be six two, six three, and throw the ball that low. And I'm not. I'm just not gonna love it. So I'm curious if he's altered his motion at all. I just didn't. He just didn't blow me away. To be honest yeah. with you. I mean, I'm watching him next to CJ Carr, and it's just like no. I mean, again, nah. he's a year younger than CJ, but it sure. just was a different world. The KJ Casey KJ Lacey kid from Alabama, I like a lot. Ryan. I haven't seen him yet. I haven't seen. Uh, him he's yet. a he's a gamer, man. Like he's not he's not a guy. He's not he's like six one on one ninety ish. Does a lot of stuff off platform, like just drops it down, and he'll throw around the guy. Reminds me a, a little bit of Tyler Buckner as a thrower, just a little bit cleaner mechanics than Tyler had coming out. Not the dynamic athlete that Tyler was. Uh, just really smart, good decision maker, gets the ball out on time. He's just a good football player. Like he may not be a guy that you look at Ryan and say, boy, this guy's a future NFL draft pick. I don't know if that's something that you're going to think when you watch him, but you're just like, dude, this guy, this guy knows how to play quarterback. Dynamic. So yeah. it's a good group so far. It's, yeah. I mean, and those are really the only quarterbacks I've seen in the 2025 class. So I don't know what the class is like nationally, but like if this if this five is indicative at all of what the 2025 quarterback class is like. It's going to be a heck of a class. Yeah. Uh, those, kids I mean, are, those kids are good. Because one kid that visited campus but doesn't have an offer is that Jamar. You, have you seen Jamar Malone? That kid's talented, too. He hasn't gotten an offer from Notre Dame Isn't yet, that, though. There's that, that kid's, kid that throws righty and lefty, Mickey Grow. I'm not I'm not. A I, I haven't seen. I, yeah, not, I watched him like two minutes and game. I stopped. Yeah. yeah, the Antoine Hill kid's very talented. He's like the Anthony Richardson of this class, but he's very raw. He's the other tall he's kid. He's like six five. Yeah. He's a big that's the kid. kid you keep yeah. thinking. It's Antoine yeah. Hill. Excuse me, Antoine, Antoine Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah, that's the kid I think you you keep thinking of. He so. he is talented though. He's got a lot of tools. Yeah. For no sure. doubt, no doubt. Good question, Katie. Brandon Plesner, uh As of right now, Ryan, we have not seen any twenty four kids get offered today. Correct? I haven't seen nope. any twenty four kids seen. offered today. Nope. All right, here we go. Um, here's one from John Mayernich. John's question is, was the lack of success on the defensive line last year truly on Al Washington, or was it Golden and Freeman? Is it possible it was a part of the defensive strategy by Golden? I'm wondering this. I mean, it's definitely part of it, John, for sure. I mean, we talked about the interior defensive line a lot yesterday, Brian, obviously, about you know that 
some undersized defensive tackles were probably asked to do things that they shouldn't be doing, right? Like mm-hmm. anchoring and playing and two gapping and doing all those things consistently and not being more of an attack style. So that is a defensive system, you know, fault, right? So that you have to put something on Al Golden. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, Al Washington needs like this is one of those things, John, where it's like everybody needs a little bit of blame here, right? Yes. I mean, they but weren't the position used well coach enough. is always the guy at the top that you got to be able to look at and say, okay. And here's the here's here's how you make the determination, Ryan. Is is the group playing fundamentally sound football or not? If yeah. they are, if they're playing hard and playing fundamentally sound football, but things aren't working, you can usually point to it's one of two things: the system isn't really conducive to them being productive, or you just don't have very good players. Right. It's not a very good. I mean, do they have elite talent like George and Bam? No, they don't. I've never said that they do. They don't have the raw God-given tools that an Ohio State has on the D line. Right, there's no Jack Sawyer, there's no uh JT, it's still really good talent, though. Yeah, and and you know, at least in the older classes, the younger classes has a few more guys that have that kind of potential, just not the floors that those guys have, but the ceilings are very similar. And say, okay, well, you know, in other years, you say, what's you know, maybe they don't have the players. I mean, how much am I really going to ask Jonathan Bonner to be a butt kicker? You know what I mean? Like, he does his job and, and and he does it well. But last year was like you're, you're seeing you're seeing guys not playing fundamentally sound, guys not being you know gap sound, gap consistent. You know you're seeing Isaiah Foskey develop. We hear all about the counter moves that he's developing, and then we get the games and he doesn't know how to use them. Well, that's partly mm-hmm. coaching, it's partly the player. So there were things you could see from Al Washington to say he's got to do a better job. Do I think that all the issues with the D line last year on Al Washington? No, I don't. My bigger issues with Al Washington are on the recruiting trail than they are necessarily coaching, to be completely honest with you. Now, my issue with Al Washington as a coach is more about he's not doing a good job, based on hearing from several people, coaching the entire depth chart. And that's something Mike Elson was great at. The reason Notre Dame could lose starters and just plug and play, like year after year, post-2017, is because Mike Elson coached the entire depth chart. Al Washington's not doing that. And that's a big mistake. You can't be that way at Notre Dame. So... I don't think he was really bad per se with the coaching of the D line in when it comes to the starters. I think a lot of that had to do with you have the system is asking things of them that you probably shouldn't be asking them to do. You had a couple veterans that weren't bought in the way that they needed to be bought in, which created some issues in the room. And you had a guy that wasn't doing enough coaching the entire depth chart. I mean, so it wasn't all him, but at the end of the day, Yes, Al Golden's got to do a better job, Ryan. Yep. But Al Washington also has to do a lot better job because you can't watch the film of Notre Dame's D-line last year and be like, yes, he's doing everything he can. The problem is over here. Yep. And, you know, there's a level layers of accountability to that. And at the top is Marcus Freeman. He's got to do a better job of holding everybody accountable and getting more out of his assistant coaches. But when you're talking about a position coach, the first person that should be discussed when talking about it, it's got to get better is the position coach. Sure. It's it's plain and simple, and I'm just not sure why sometimes people are always looking for. Uh, well, let's not blame that guy; let's blame somebody else. Like, oh, it's ultimately so. Every time a guy runs a bad route, let's blame Marcus Freeman; he's the head coach. Like, that's so lazy. Yeah, right. That's so lazy. And, and now, is it ultimately true? Yeah, everything that happens is the is on the the head football coach. Sure, but that's just so lazy and, and unhelpful to do it that way. And, and we weren't like that with Brian Kelly either. I mean, if. If Jeff Quinn did a bad job, we didn't say Brian Kelly's the reason that the offensive line sucks every single game. It was, well, that's who you hired. 
right? That's right. And, and that's that's ultimately where Marcus Freeman is going to be judged is, okay, well, you've got these guys. They're doing the job or they're not. And if they're not, what are you doing about it? And so, what are you going to do to make it better? Those those are the question marks that that he's going to have to figure out and find answers for, right? I mean, it's just yep. it's just the reality of it. I, I just don't like making one person the whipping boy when everybody needs a little bit of accountability, sure. right? Like sure. you need accountability. That's yeah, sure, sure, percent. All right, We've got some more here from John A. One. The reverse seems to be more of an art to execute today. What makes a reverse play effective? Well, that's a really good question. I a lot of things. Number one is what's the action? Yeah. I think when you see reverses that are ineffective, it's where it's so clearly a reverse because it's different alignment and action than you see in any other times. I think a couple keys are number one, you've got to be a team. You know who was really good at jet sweeps in the last four or five years? Wisconsin. Yeah. Because they send a they do a lot of motions. And they do a lot of play action and movement off the, the jet action. So when you're handing that jet sweep off you're not always sure that it's a jet sweep and that light little bit of hesitancy is enough for them to get seals blocks and let that guy get outside. So you got to have, uh, you've got to have mo- movement that gets you set. Now that's key. Number one, right? Where the jet motion is like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're going to use the jet motion. And it's also just as lame to have jet motion all the time. And you don't hand the ball off ever. Like Notre Dame seemed to be that way for a while last year. They would run these motions and then never actually give that guy to football. And then the one time they do, they give the Jade Thomas on fourth down. So, but uh, the other thing is you've got leverage is important. You know, how, how can you formationally get a team? There's two mistakes you can make. One is being too wide. And then you guys can run, you know, they can funnel you back inside easier and then inside out guys can come make plays. The other is to get too ta- too tight where you, you that you're so tight that the cornerback's never going to come that far inside. He's going to see the jet and he's just going to he's just going to beat you to it. So a reduced alignment without getting into a bunch is the where I like is the sweet spot for me, Ryan, to be honest with you, because yeah. you're getting leverage to down block but you're also tight enough with your corner that you can pull your your guards and stuff if you want to or get a tight end maybe on some sort of like a wing motion or a lot of teams will use like their running back. So bring a slot motion and like have an Audric estimate. Like if you remember the 50-yard touchdown Notre Dame had against LSU on a jet sweep in uh, the 14 bowl game with Malik, the lead blocker on the perimeter was Torian Folston. C.J. Mm -hmm. Procise's receiver, he comes on motion, gets the jet. Torian Folsom made a really important block on the perimeter on that play that sprung uh, CJ Procise uh, free. So you got to have some way to create cross action. I think the best jet sweeps are the ones where you can kind of create some cross action on the in a, from a blocking standpoint. Seal inside with your receivers, get a running back, a tackle, a tight end or guard maybe uh, going outside on a on a kick out of the corner who's going to come up. I think those are the the more effective jet sweeps for me, right? That's that's what I that's what I like about it. I would Rever- say- I should say. Yeah, and I would say this too, John. Another key thing that I, I think that the people that usually aren't very good at reverses and kind of that misdirection also are people that aren't very good on the front side of the runs that they're choosing to run the action off of. Right? It's like if I if I'm a team and you're running, you know, let's just say it's you know zone rights, and then you're running a reverse off of zone look or something. If you're not good at running zone rights, why am I like getting so like? Oh my god, I need to get over here. I need to overcompensate. Because overcompensation is usually defensively is what gives up big plays on the backside. Like that's kind of where that stuff works off of. So I think it's being good in the action that you're running it off of, right? Whether it's a power look, whether it's a zone look, toss, like whatever it ends up being, you need to be good on the front side of these runs. 
The best teams are the ones where you're kicking their butts on the same play, same play, and then the backside players need to overcompensate, and then that's where the reverses come out of. So I think that there's a lot of teams that run that type of misdirection and that type of reverse action almost out of desperation. And usually when you're running out of desperation, usually they suck at it because it's like there's no – like that. the play action is not making you feel – like you're threatened. If you don't feel like you're threatened, you're not going to overcompensate. You're not going to get frazzled. You're not going to, you know, get out of your assignments and then mess up mentally, right? Mental mistakes are what usually lets that type of action spring. So I think just being really good on the front side of whatever run you're pl- you're working off of is big time. And those teams that aren't predictable with that and are efficient with the run that they're playing are the ones that are usually a lot more successful off of that misdirection stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Good questions. Good questions. Here we go. We got some more here, Ryan. Question from John Mayernich. With the success of Harrison Harrison Smith and Kyle Hamilton at safety in the NFL, which is far better than what any other school has in the NFL, why aren't we doing better in safety recruiting? That's a great question. I I mean, I think part of it is they they were doing good at safety recruiting and they had some guys bust. I mean, Derek Allen busted out. Houston Griffith wasn't what we thought he was going to be. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that's part of it as well. But I mean, you you had a guy that I don't think Terry Joseph was a very good recruiter. I mean, that's that's number one. I think he was a bad recruiter at Notre Dame. And number two, uh, Chris O'Leary is a good coach, but he hasn't proven to be a good recruiter. I, I think I think it's yeah. really it's like it's like running back, right? It, remember when we had to listen to how oh, top running backs don't want to come to Notre Dame because academics or whatever excuse people used. That was only relevant when Audrey Denson was a running backs coach. That's the only time right. it was an excuse. Hey, look, Bernie Parmalee had no issue coach recruiting running backs. Tony Alford had no issue recruiting top running backs. He signed two top 100 running backs from Florida in the same class. Wild. You know, he signed Josh Adams and Dexter Williams in the same class. Like, you know, there was no issues there. He signed Theo Riddick and Sear Wood in the same class. Cameron Roberson, before the knee injury, was a top 200 back. I like Cam Roberson a lot. Now, there were some years you had some misses and and, and things, but that's always going to happen. You know, but you, Audrey Denson – Notre Dame could have had A.J. Dillon easily. They didn't get him because at the Irish invasion, Audrey Denson told him, you're a linebacker for us. And when Mike Denbrock heard that, he was pissed. Because they didn't, they didn't, he didn't think that. That was an Audrey Denson thing. Even though at that same Irish invasion, he was the fastest kid there. He won the, 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 sprint, the sprint contest. He smoked C.J. Holmes, who they ended up offering and taking. Smoked Deion Jackson, who also was better than C.J. Holmes. Another guy that Notre Dame could have had easily. Who if, went to do? He was at yeah. Irish Invasion, looked great, and they went with CJ Holmes. I like right? Deion Jackson, man. He was a good oh, player me too, and he was yeah. a great kid too. And so, so those are those are not oh well, uh, top backs. No, you have someone here who can't recruit and doesn't want to recruit. That puts no effort into recruiting. Then all of a sudden yeah. he leaves. Lance Taylor shows up, and all of a sudden you're signing Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs and Audric Estime, and then Dylan McCullough shows up, and you get Jeremiah Love, and all of a sudden top running backs want to come to Notre Dame again. Shocker! I don't know why, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of it has to do with that. Is is you know get a guy there with a, a more proven track record as a coach or someone who's a really strong recruiter. Now I'm okay with Chris O'Leary for now because he's a young coach who's learning. This is a big year for Chris O'Leary. He's got to do well in this class because if he doesn't do on this class, you can't just be a good coach at Notre Dame, especially the skill position. You got to be a good coach and a good recruiter. Right. And this is a big year for Chris O'Leary. He's got to step up and put a really strong safety class together because 
he he had a good safety class last year, although he was not the primary driver of that. If we're going to be completely honest, he was part part of it. He's got to do well with you know the Kennedy Erlackers, the Davis Andrews, the Jalen McLeans, and some of those other top guys that I like. I don't care what their rankings are; those are guys that I think are really good football players. You got to start getting those guys because I also don't think safety is a position where you, you know, Ryan, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. I don't think safety is a position where you have to get elite players. If you can, great. I mean, if you can get a Kyle Hamilton, great. I'm not saying don't recruit that guy. But if you're dominating up front and and you don't necessarily need elite safeties, Notre Dame had one of the best safety tandems in the country in Alohi Gilman and, and Jalen Elliott, undrafted kid in a six round draft pick. And that year in 2018, they had one of the five, six best safety tandems in the country. No question. Yeah. So, but they, but part of it was because they were really good up front that year, like really good up front and really good at linebacker that year. I mean, that they, they, Notre Dame definitely also had one of the best front sevens in college football that year. I mean, they, both of your backup defensive ends on the 2018 team were drafted. Your backups, you had five defensive ends that have started, have played in the NFL from, from that team, just defensive ends. And so, yeah, you're, you, when you're when you have a front seven like that, you can you can win with guys like that. Yeah, you know, you better have a Kyle Hamilton if you're if you're not going to be really good up front. And that's the concern I have right now, Ryan. It's it's I'm more worried about the D line recruiting right now than I am safety recruiting. A lot more concerned because you can also move a plethora from another position there, corner receiver. I mean, your two starting safeties this year most likely going to be a former cornerback and a former wide receiver. Sure. You know, and we expect them to be a pretty good pair if they develop. Right. You're not converting a guard over to defensive line if you want to be good. Yeah. You know, like that's the difference. Agree. So uh, that's, that's I, a good note on like a couple. You know, we, we think about some of the better defenses we've seen over the last like 15 ish years. Like I think like you remember those really good Alabama years, Brian. I remember like Robert Lester was one of their best safeties. It's like. What did Robert Lester ever do in the NFL? Like he didn't do anything. Christopher Smith was a really good player out of Georgia. I like him, but like he's not like a stud, you know, look at this type of guy and going to be an all pro in the next level. Like he's not that type of dude, right? I mean, so yeah, you, you don't need that position to be elites. Like you really don't. Like it's just more about getting good football players. And Notre Dame needs to get more good football players to safety. There's no doubt about it. You need to get a three-man class this year that has some good players in it. Like, you need that type of group this year. You need it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I got some more here, Ryan. Let's keep rocking and rolling. We'll get this last one from John A1, and then we'll have all the John A1 questions answered. John's question, will we see a good amount of 22 personnel in 2023? 
I don't think so. I don't know if that's the ideal. I think you could use it at times. Definitely. There's a time and a place for that. I mean, get into a third and one and you could really scheme up something really big for that type of thing, you know, but it'll be a change up that you use occasionally in certain looks, but it's not going to be a, I hope it's not a, because that says a lot about the receiving core. If that's a primary alignment they're going with. They came out in that against it was Syracuse, right? Where they put Audrey Estime in it fullback so, yeah. and then ran the dive yeah. out of it. And, and at stuff, two tight so. ends. Yeah. 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 I just it, I, I I like those wrinkles. I love wrinkles like that. It's just not going to be a something I say we're going to see a good amount of. Yeah. And I'm gonna get some more wide receivers on the field. So yeah. Yeah. this is really cool. Adam Shipley has a, a really cool uh, note here. He says, random, but my daughter's high school band, which is Adams High School in South Bend, was asked to be the pep band. For the Creighton girls tonight, uh, could you wish them luck? So obviously Absolutely. that meaning Notre Dame uh, women's basketball team is hosting the NCAA tournament the first uh, two rounds at in, in Notre Dame, and so Creighton's one of the teams that's going to be there. So yeah, man, that's awesome, Adam. I hope they I hope they have enjoyed themselves and and have a good time. I I, I I've said this. I think bands. I, I don't. I'm not a big cheerleader person. I think bands are such an, an integral part of college sports. They really are. And I don't like that we don't have bands as much because we have more music and stuff that's blasted. But I I love bands at sport at at, at football games and basketball games. I like the pep bands at basketball especially games. Those co- are awesome on the college level, especially. It's like the authentic. Yeah. It's like it feels like college football to your yes. point, right? It's yes. Like, yeah. And same with basketball. I love a pep band at a basketball game. I really do. I really do. I think those are a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. All right, then, Ryan, you, then, a, then you'll a, get you'll get the occasional Stanford cow where the band goes on the field and someone gets yes. struck too. Well, so, yes. Stanford's <laughs> band is ridiculous. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure where this comment came from, Ryan, but here is a here's a some a comment somebody made that I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I have heard okay. a lot of people kind of make this comment a lot lately. Joe, Joe Medina says I think Keely Ringo is so overrated as a DB. What are your I, thoughts, Ryan? I don't think he is anymore, Joe. I mean, I, I think that right now I would say it's more likely Keely Ringo's the fifth corner off the board than being the first or second corner off the board. So I don't think it's like super overrated. I think that his film was very up and down over the last two years. Like it just wasn't consistent at all. But I, I could still buy into Keely Ringo as a talent though. I would, man. If, if he's there in the late first round, early second round, I would take him all day. Because I mean, you can't can't teach that man like that's six two 200 plus pounds of four three six like there's a lot of talent to work with Akili. so was he overrated to begin the season as far as a draft prospect maybe slightly sure i can get there with you but right now i don't think he's overrated at all because i think he's probably gonna be the fourth or fifth corner off the board as it stands today next question we have here from john mayernich John says, you've just been given the job of NCAA president. What is the very first thing you do? Change the, the check, transfer, baby. Cash change the, the transfer portal rules. Like, honestly, yeah. if they would say, hey, Brian, you can be the NCAA president for three years and you're not going to make a dime, I would take that job in a heartbeat. I would. I hate what they're doing to the college sports right now. I hate it. Yeah. The first thing I would do is I would change the transfer portal rules like right away. And, and there's several changes that I would make. Number one is you're, I'm back to sitting out a year. Graduates can train. I'm rewarding. I always, I'm all about rewarding people for graduating college. All about that. Graduate yeah. transfers can leave right away. The other thing I would implement is a, a, a legitimate a, appeal process that if kids want to transfer and get a year back, uh, you have that, but it's going to be very strict rules and, and, and you have to pr- provide a level of evidence to, you know, to be able to, to, to transfer. So like 
what happened a few years ago or recently with Devin Upal from Notre Dame. I, I, I'm giving him a waiver. And I think waivers can also be granted by the school that the kid is leaving from. So if, if, cause no one's going to know a kid's situation more than the coaches that are there. You have a kid, you know, what's going on at home and the kid wants to leave. You guys work together. And if you're willing to grant that, then you grant that. Cause there's some schools that are going to say, Hey, look, you're not playing for us. If you want to transfer, we'll help clear that road. So, so allow there to be that process. Uh, the other thing that I would do is if you graduate, if you transfer and you lose that year and you graduate, you get it back. So once you graduate, so you don't lose a season of eligibility. Like right now, if I redshirt as a freshman and then transfer the next year, I have to not only, so I lose my redshirt freshman year, I lose a transfer year. I only have three years to play. Yeah. If you graduate, I give you that last year back. You still have your four years. So it's now an incentive to to stay and graduate and do on the classroom and those kind of things. And you're not, you're not, that's the only thing that creates pun, like sitting out a year is not punishment. It's not punishment. Losing a year of eligibility potentially by transferring is punishment. And so once you remove that, then it's no longer punishment. As long as you graduate, just go to class, get your degree. You don't, don't have to be 4.0 student. Just, just got to graduate. So that's something I would do. And the other, the final piece for me, Ryan, is I would make it to where, if a school makes you a promise, they better put it in your NIL. And if a school's not willing to put a promise in your NIL, then guess what? They're lying to you. And so to me, that is something that I would definitely have. have. And with the, this current you know, NIL stuff, name, image, likeness, these kids can have attorneys. They can have things. I would have a structure in place to where you kind of – where kids can kind of go – the NCAA can have, a, 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 you know, if they want, if you want to, you can have sort of a, you can have your own lawyer, your own agent, whatever, but also the NCAA will help you go through contracts, make sure that these things are all valid. Because if a school's not willing to put a promise to you, hey, we'll promise you're going to start. You're going to play 100 snaps. You're going to have number seven. You're going to do whatever. You're going to live in this dorm. If they're willing to promise you something, then they better be able to put it on paper. And if they're not willing to put it on paper, then they're they're lying to you. Yeah. Right. And so everything, if, if they're, and hey, I promise you this, promise you that, put it on paper. And if the end they and if they break their terms of the contract, then you can get out and transfer right away. So maybe schools will stop lying to these kids about all these different things. So I, I I think the current portal process is broken. And the final piece to this is if you get caught tampering, meaning having any type of I don't care if it's a person who knows a person who knows a person, you better make sure you make it very clear to your boosters that if you all do anything to tamper with a recruit, we can't, we're done. We're screwed. You're getting fined seven figures, and I would actually say you get no bowl money from yourself or your conference, and you can't get in the transfer portal for three years. I would put some serious teeth to that, serious teeth to that. And then that way, kids, you can't have any contact with a kid until he gets in the portal. you got to get into the portal before you can have any contact. And, and a school can't call the high school coach. You can't have any outside contact with a kid until he's in the portal, Right. So those are all things that I would do, all things that I would do to make the transfer process a lot cleaner and more player friendly in my, because this is what we're saying. Now, this isn't player friendly. This no. is not player, player friendly. We're not doing right by these kids, just giving them whatever they want. There's this notion that well, if a young person wants them, we should give it to them. If a young person thinks that they're this, we should just believe them. What? Like, so if your daughter says, no, dad, I truly believe that my bedtime should be 12 o'clock at night. Well, okay, so she wants, that's what we're going to give her. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You know what I mean? Well, these kids, no, sometimes as adults, we need, I need to be able to look back on a young person and say, 
I made this mistake as a young person. Right. I don't want you to have to go through that. Isn't that what parenting is supposed to be all about? Isn't that what leadership is? Hey, I, I, my, I suffered because I made a stupid and immature, immature mistake when I was 18. I want to make sure you don't have to learn from that personally, learn from right. mine. And this notion of we're just going to give kids whatever they want is so stupid. And so just, it's just nonsense. I, we've lost our minds as a country. We really have. And it's, it's indicative of sports of just, well, if a kid wants this, we'll just give it to him. No. If he messes up, that's his mistake. Re- really? That's, we're just going to just, just throw kids to the wolves like that. That's really what we're going to do. Just we don't care anymore because we're so afraid of a lawsuit. F that. It's our job to lead. It's our job to, to fight for these kids. And even sometimes, Ryan, sometimes that means doing things that they may not like. Right. Because we have been there. We know the previous transfer system was flawed because it was way too school friendly. You could tell a kid where he could and could transfer to. It was nonsense. Wow. A kid shouldn't lose a year of eligibility as long as he stays in class. We can fix all those things, right? But we need to be able to lead as, as the as the grown-ups in the room. We need to say, no, 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 man. You may think that's what you want, but trust me, that's not good for you. And the fact that we have too many cowards that are unwilling to do that and too many people in the media that just want to placate to the players because it's this really weird pro-player thing when you're not really pro-player. Pro, pro no. You know what I mean? That's not pro-player at all. That's nope. pro. That's pro. I want to be cool. You know, I want to be liked. I want to be hip. Oh, I'm the cool guy that says players get whatever they want. No, you're an idiot and a coward. That's what you are. <laughs> That's funny. No, you're not wrong though. I'm laughing because you're just so right, man. It's it's it. Tampering was my number one thing, Brian. And it's and it's more just you know we could talk about establishing the rules and figuring it out, but you have to start by caring about it, right? Yes. Like that's the the first and foremost thing. It's just. It's the Wild West, man. Like, I always pull back to the story of Tucker Kraft, who's a tight end in the 2023 NFL draft out of South Dakota State, literally told me on a podcast that he was getting tampered with by University of Alabama. They were offering right. him six figures. And he wasn't in the transfer portal. Well, we heard that they offered Michael Mayer a ton of money, too. I've heard exactly. from multiple people that, that are pretty connected to that. It no hurts question. college football so much because the big guys are just going to deplete the smaller guys, right? And, I mean th- – uh, it's just it's so frustrating to me, man. Like, so you're not only hurting a player, you're also hurting a school. You're hurting a, a community. I mean, because like Tucker Craft was a part of that program for four years, and all of a sudden he's just going to go to Alabama because he's getting offered in the bag right. and stuff. And like, if that's the decision he wants to make, that's fine. Then let him oh, go Tucker. in the portal. Exactly. Yes, let him go in the exactly. portal. But he wasn't in the portal. He wasn't seeking this stuff out. It's literally just backhanded stuff in the back channels, and that's just it's unacceptable. So, what exactly the rule is? We can talk about that all day. And I think there's a lot of merit to everything you said, obviously. And I'm sure other people out there have other ideas that I think also have merit to it, right? But at the end of the day, the NCAA needs to start caring about that type of stuff. It needs to start caring because right now it doesn't care. It's like, no, you do whatever you want. We'll be in the front. Like, you know, we won't talk about it, right? And it's the the untalked about stuff that is just killing college football. Can I bring something else up? I'm so sick of people using the military as an example. If you join the army and you leave, do you know what happens to you? You go to freaking jail. You're a deserter. Yes. Yeah. Like you can't just leave and transfer somewhere because you don't like it. So if you want to say, well, hey, if they're old enough to join the military, do you know what happens if you're if you're serving and you decide, I don't want to do this crap anymore. I'm leaving. You can't do that. Yeah. So cool. We'll take the military approach and we'll make the punishment the same as it is for the military. Cool. Yeah. You want to do that? Send kids to jail? Put them in the brig because they, they they're AWOL? Like, no, let's, that's not, you're not making the example you think you're making Yeah. because you can't just leave the military willy nilly. 
because I my my drill sergeant yelled at me. I'm transferring to the Air Force. You know what I mean? Like you can't do that. You can't do that. So the, the using the military as an example is really not a good thing for you because it's a lot easier to, to get out of playing football at Notre Dame than it is to get out of the Army once you've enlisted, with all yes. due respect. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm sorry. You just you, that, that, That's not a good example. No. You, you, the, the, there's nowhere in life. Ryan, if you if – you, well, I won't use you as an example because I, I you can feel use like me. Go weird. No, you're like, fine. You, you have yeah. certain things in your contract that you just can't up and willy-nilly leave and just go anywhere you want. There's some places you can go. It is what it is. But there's some places you can't go. Right. That, that Adults do this all the time. We have to sign non-competes. I just can't leave for another business yeah. unless my contract allows me to do so. So, like, when I left the first time and came back after coaching, I made sure I didn't sign a non-compete the next time because I wanted that freedom if I needed to have that freedom. So, okay, how bad do you want me here? If you're going to make me sign a non-compete, then I'm not coming. I'm going to go somewhere else, right? So uh, the reality is, is it's this is a unique thing. This People think, well, there's well, a regular student can transfer somewhere. Okay, fine. I don't, but they're not athletes. They're not sport. They're not, they're not part of something. So I just, I, I, you know, this whole thing just frustrates the heck out of me. You know, it, it really does frustrate the heck out of me. So, and they are signing contract. He says, these are, yes, they are. A national letter of intent is a contract. It's a binding, it's a contract that says, you come here and you do this and we will pay for your scholarship. We'll pay for your tuition room and board. That's a contract. That's a, absolutely a contract. So they are signing a contract, which yeah. is why I've said there needs to be specific language in that contract that if a school promises a player the number seven jersey, playing time, dorm, whatever, it should be part of that contract. Yeah. And it shouldn't just be a standard blanket. There should be a standard contract that every kid signs. That still is the terms of, you know, for, for that, the NCA regulates that. But then there's an addendum page that is between the kid and the school. We promise you that you're going to be able to move off campus after your first year. We promise you the number seven jersey. We promise you that you're able to do this. We promise you that you're going to play at least 100 snaps this year. We promise you that you're going to be able to stay, do whatever the case may be, whatever. We'll travel to everywhere, whatever they're going to promise you. It, it That's on the addendum page. And yeah. if the school doesn't meet its need, then the kid can leave. He's free to leave at the end of that story. Uh, no sit out, no, no, nothing, right? That's fine. I'm cool with that. Because you violated your contract, yep. right? Like, Ryan, you know, you have your non-compete we talked about, right? But if I decide I'm not going to pay you and, and you say, well, I'm going to leave. I said, well, you can't leave. You're in a non-compete. And we went to court. Guess who would lose? I would because I, I, I didn't hold yeah. up to my end of the agreement because sure. I wasn't paying you what I promised you I was going to pay you, right? Same thing. If you left, there, I'd get certain things because you didn't live up to your end of the agreement. And so why, why do we, we always say, well, we're, we're going to hold these kids. That's we, no one, no one acts like this. Nobody acts like nobody allows this. Yeah. And it just, it's a flawed system and we're not helping these kids. No, we're not, we're not making helping it, these make, kids make, by doing this. Making it easy to leave as easy as they do now is, is not helping anyone. It's no, not to your point. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it just makes you feel better. As I don't want someone who wants to be pro player. It makes right. you feel better about yourself, but it doesn't help the players. Yeah. It doesn't help. I, the players. I mean, I, I'm not trying to keep a player in a, in a position or in a place that makes them, you know, mad or angry or like, you know, makes, you know, hurts their mental health. Like, I mean, that that's not the situation I'm talking about. I'm talking about like 
the first thing that something happens, you could just leave any time, man. Like, what character do you build off of that? Like, you don't build any character. Right. I mean, wh- I don't know. I just don't well, like it, it, it. People say, well, normal students can transfer. If I go, if I go to a school and I and I have a scholarship for something, there's yeah. language in that scholarship. I have to live up to a certain standard to maintain that scholarship. Yep. Right. So there's standards for everybody that they have to live up. I have, hey, I have to maintain a 3.0 GPA or I lose my scholarship. Yep. Right. As a student, as a normal student, but yet with athletes, we're just let them do whatever they want willy nilly. That doesn't help them. I yeah. Tom Izzo had a great comment on this other day because we're not teaching these kids how to handle adversity anymore. We're not. Ah, uh, my coach isn't. He he started talking about all these players would have. Think about how many great Notre Dame players would have transferred if if because they weren't playing a lot, they weren't playing the position they wanted, they weren't doing this, they weren't doing that, or a coaching I mean, change. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. now see, I also that's some for me coaching changes. I've said I'm I'm opening those kids up. I I my thing is I'm giving a 30 day window. Yeah. To that new coach to talk to players and he can either release them right away. Hey. We don't have plans for you. Here's the sign. I'm signing your release form. You're you're you can go right now. Give them a window. Maybe it's two, three weeks, whatever, to kind of stay there and make the case for the kids that are currently on the team before yep. the transfer portal windows open opens up. Right? Because that's the other thing too. Is I think we need to change the transfer pen, uh, window port, portal window. But yeah, if a, if a if a, a head coach leaves, those kids should be able to have certain freedoms, right? And but I also think the new coach should have some sort of a window to say, hey, look. You know, here's why I want you to stay. Here's my vision for you. And if the kid says no, then then he can leave, exactly. and and not, and not have to sit out of here because maybe that'll make you think twice about firing Dan Mullen halfway through a season when the dude was just in the freaking SEC championship a year ago, right? Like, okay, well that's cool because all your players can leave now if they want, all of and, them. And you're not in a great situation right now, and no. off of that situation. <laughs> no, you're not. Point. <laughs> you're not. You're not. All right, here we go. Let's get back to uh, let's get back on track here a little bit. Got me fired up. We got from Kaiser Sose says, do you no, guys Kaiser Sose? Come on now. Have you not All seen right. usual suspects? No, I haven't. I don't know what that is. Ryan's fired. Sorry, I don't guys. know what that is. I'm sorry. Don't You've know. never seen the movie usual suspects. Never heard of it. Oh my God. I'm so disappointed. What is it? It's a movie. Right? It's so I'd be like, who's in it? What is it from? Kevin Spacey is in yeah. it. One of the Baldwin brothers is in it. It's a really good movie. Okay. Benicio del Toro's in it. It's a really good movie. Okay. Very good movie. I'll add it to the list. Uh, what's his name? Um, the guy that the guy from uh, Bronx Tale. What's yes. his name? Chaz. Um, um, Chaz Palmieri's in it. I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Chaz yeah. Palmieri's in it. It's a really okay. good movie. Okay. Really good movie. I add it to the add it to the list. There. Do you yeah. do you guys believe or have you heard that with the new offensive coaching staff, we will actually be seeing the best and highest potential players on the fields? I mean, right now, Ryan, it's all words. We need to see it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every staff says the right things, and and I'm I'm cautious. I'll say this: I'm Kaiser. I'm cautiously optimistic. That's where that's where I'm at. Cautiously yep. optimistic. Seems. Yeah. Yep. Cautiously optimistic. All right. Let's get down to the next one here. From Archer, resident Ohio State fan, if you two were to draft the offense and defense roster separately, who would be your top ten on each side? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> like a spring game kind of yeah. deal. Would be I like top that. Ten. Um, Are we about to do I a mean, snake draft right now? This is about to happen. No, I mean, it, <laughs> top ten on offense and defense separately. I mean, offense it's Sam Hartman, Blake Fisher, Joe Walt, Billy Shrouth, Zeke Carell, Mitchell Evans, Tobias Merriweather, 
Um, Deion Colsey, that's eight, right? Uh, see here, Deion Colsey, I'd probably go Jaden Thomas and any of the backs. Pick a back. I'm telling you, man, Archer, Archer wanted us to do a to do a snake draft here. He yeah. wanted a snake draft. But That'd be fun to do on the board. He said alter, alternating time. picks, alternating yeah. picks. He wants it to happen. Yeah, but... I, well, that's not something we're going to do here. We can do that on the board, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, that'd be a fun, fun thing to do on the board. They should open it up to Notre Dame media one year, and we have a snake draft to decide who's on each side of the blue yeah. ball game. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Like half the media is on draft of one team, half the media's on, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. They'll never do that, but that I know fun. they wouldn't, but it'd be awesome. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Talk about being different. That would be really different, and yeah. I would love every second of it. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.